Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. So if you would, Haley, go ahead and put that picture up for me. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a modern-day picture of what's referred to as the gates of Hades, likely where the event St. Matthew is recounting took place. It's some 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Now, for the ancient Canaanites, the site had been a shrine to a pagan deity called Baal or Baal. You'll hear us say most of the time. They believed that he controlled weather and fertility. Every fall, he was said to have entered into the underworld, into Hades, through the cave, as he died. And thus, nature died with him. And then every spring, he reemerged. So they built a shrine to him here. In time, the Greek god Pan would be worshipped here resulting in the name of the surrounding area being changed to Peneus. There were niches cut out in the rock. You can see one just to the right from our angle of the cave. There's a niche cut out in the rock up there. And idols would be placed in those places. And before these idols, it would be uh, wrong for me to describe the activities that took place in hopes of invoking the blessing of these pagan deities. And these acts were practiced for hundreds of years, even until it became an important Greco-Roman community or city, primarily with Syrian and Greek population. The name was changed from Peneus to Caesarea Philippi because Philip the Tetrarch, one of Herod the Great's sons, was honored there along with a shrine to Augustus. Modern excavation reveals coins that were dedicated to Caesar, to Pan. So it was this centuries-old pagan place of worship that was literally considered to be the gates of Hades. It's in this place where Jesus begins to reveal to his disciples who he is. And in that, he also begins to reveal who they are and what in and through them he intends to do in the world. That message that day was a turning point. It was a big turning point in the life of the church. And it's still our message today. Let's pray and then look at it together. Father, I humbly ask that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of each one of our hearts would be pleasing to you, King Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus asked this question when he gets there. He says, who do people say that I am? And he says it specifically this way. 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, this is a phrase that Jesus used all the time in talking about himself. On the surface, it could easily be interpreted as, who do people say this human is? In that culture, that wouldn't have been foreign. In our Psalter reading today, you even hear language like this. Listen to this again from Psalm 80, verse 17. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. This is referring to Israel. It's referring to the people of God, the children of God. And the, and the psalmist is saying, take care. It's really interesting. They, it wasn't just a person. It was talking about Israel. Us as a people, your son. Us as a people, your child. Be kind to us. And that's the son of man that's referred to there. But our Old Testament reading from the prophet Daniel spoke of another son of man figure. An exalted figure who's clearly more than human. Let's hear it again. Just listen for it with me. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus, by saying son of man, is using a double innuendo. He's not just throwing out there that I happen to be this messianic figure that has come. That would have been careless. But he's saying something that for those to whom God would grant ears to hear, as they saw the things that he did and heard the things that he said, they would begin to dial in. This is more than just another Israelite. This is more. So he's hiding something of his identity in plain sight while at the same time making it available for whoever will pick up on it. So when he asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They speak of, you know, Elijah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist. What's common about all of these people at this point in time in history? Does anyone know? They're all dead. In Jewish tradition, when Messiah came... When the works of God around Messiah came, one of the ancient or some of the ancient prophets might come back and speak to the people. So that was something that they thought about. So people were curious. Herod, who had killed John the Baptist, was particularly interested in this. Because if this was John the Baptist come back, he was really scared. But then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter outpaces himself. He said something that is so far beyond human connecting of dots. He says something that's so superior to just being clever. He says something that's divine. It's revelation. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're not 
a dead prophet come back. You're not a pagan deity like this stuff that we would see happening where this cave is and what the tradition and history here is. You're the son not just of a God who might go through the underworld and come back. You're the son of the living God, the creator, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel. You're the Christ, the Messiah, God's promised Savior King who came from the line of David. The revelation that was given to him was so profound and so compelling that Jesus immediately blesses him and said, Brother, you are speaking way more than you understand. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which means Simon the son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, Peter, you're hearing God, and it's coming out of your mouth. The revelation given to him by God alone was so profound, and it would be foundational to Peter's life. But more than that, it would be foundational to all of Christ's followers. We heard it in our epistle reading from Romans. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That confession will become something that every single follower of Christ will have in common. When he looks at Peter and he affirms this and then he says, on this rock I will build my church, there are many in the church, we had huge discussion about this at preaching team this week. Many in the church believe that the rock is Peter. And the fact is, Peter did become a prominent leader in the early church. The Roman Catholic tradition sees each sitting pope as Peter's spiritual descendant. But there's more here. Jesus is pointing to Peter, but he's also pointing to his confession. He's pointing to the confession saying... Every person who says what you just said, whose heart and mind comes to align with this, that's where I'm going to build my church and every single one. But there's a third thing he's saying. Would you put the picture back up for me, Haley? Where this was, the rock face where they were, a first century Jewish rabbi didn't just throw words around. They used word pictures all the time, all the time. And with lewd, unspeakable practices probably going on right here in this area, possibly in front of them. This was a place no sensible rabbi or decent Jew would find themselves. And Jesus goes there to do this. You know what I think he's saying? On this rock where that stuff is going on, I will raise up my church. I will take broken, contrary to me and my kingdom people, and I will bring them 
out of that darkness to become my people. And that gate right there, that stationary place, will not be able to withstand us. Amen? That is what Christ is doing. Yes, Peter was a prince of the church. Yes, the confession is for every believer who will follow Jesus. But you need to understand from this message, and I think the Lord has this for us today. I don't know what darkness you're living in or what darkness you've lived in. I don't know what sin you've committed or sin's been done to you. But you are not so dark. You are not so lost that Christ cannot rescue you to becoming his bride. And before we dumb that down to just, whew, I'm okay, which is great. He says the gates of Hades will not prevail against you, which means we're on mission. We're not just saved. We're saved unto purpose. We're saved unto being a people who are going to advance the gospel. And through love, not hate. Through life, not death. Through light, not darkness. Bring the good news of God and his kingdom to the world. And there will be a gate. And it's ours to attack. Not the people. Not the people. Because remember... We were just like them before Christ rescued us. But we go after it. And this is important for us. Because in this we learn our God, when he wanted to do something about our brokenness, he came down and became one of us. Our God, when he wanted to do something about what had happened in the world, he came and found us where we were, becoming one of us, like us in every way, except sin. He did not commit those sins, but he came and brought his brothers and sisters to that kind of place, saying, right here is where I'm going to gather my church. I came for broken people. And then we learn that we have purpose, purpose together to move forward and be about his purpose in the world. I don't know what your plans are. They could be a myriad of things. You have a good father who gives us the grace of choosing and deciding and working out stuff. But there is a baseline. There is a foundation. There is a rock that we walk on. It's the person of Christ. It's the reality of his church. It's the confession and it's the mission of God to seek his kingdom. Everything we do here, our times in worship, this time with a microphone, now when we come to his table and we have confession and repentance and absolution, when we do mission community groups, when we do the belong thing that we just did, when we have go retreats that we go to or events that we do, all of this has this in mind. We are to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that Christ is revealed 
and the kingdom is sought. That's what we do. Christ has called us to it. Let's be eager to be about it. You've been listening to the Mission Red Bank Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.